Yeah, so I would say the vast majority is going to be travel nurses or traveling medical professionals, but there are also insurance companies that have housing lists where say, you know, your house burns down, you do need temporary housing and your insurance would help set you up in temporary housing that's furnished. So there's also stuff like that. There's also military housing. Um, There's corporate housing so like if you only need housing for like a three-month stint for some kind of travel job through your company that's not a medical professional um you know there's lists for that like corporate housing by owner is one of them what's going on guys welcome to the creating wealth podcast where i kyle from kyle curtain real estate interview local top dogs in the real estate investing wealth building and personal finance industries let's build together What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 104 of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of chatting with Jesse Dillon. Jesse is an absolutely phenomenal investor and entrepreneur from Central Mass with a killer story. I'm super excited to jump in. She started with humble beginnings not too long ago and has grown her real estate portfolio to a valuation of $1.5 million through only five doors in nine months, owns multiple businesses, was a guest on the Bigger Pockets Rookie Podcast, and is semi-retired. Jesse, what's going on? Super excited to jump in here today. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to just sharing my story and any insights on another podcast, because once I got on the BP Rookie podcast, it's kind of been this wave of other people inviting me to their podcast. So it's just been cool to get to share my story with a lot of different audiences. That's super cool. It definitely is a lot of fun, you know, to kind of jump on like different shows and like have like different conversations and stuff. And it's, uh, it's cool stuff. Yeah, so super excited to have yeah, you. Definitely. So let's, um let's jump right in. You know, what's, what's, I guess, what kind of like, well, you can jump in wherever you want. <laughs> so um, about five, six years ago, I was working at a big box beauty retailer. So like a beauty retailer in the mall. Um, and it was great until it wasn't. Ultimately, you know, I started a family and realized like, I really just work at the mall. Like this is a glorified mall job. There's really not like as much of a future in it as I had expected. Um. So I started to kind of build up different ways of making money while I was there, making an escape plan. So I started working at a spa one day a week. Um, I learned a new skill, which is permanent makeup, um, also known as cosmetic tattooing. And I took my time transitioning out of that big box beauty retailer, doing those kind of side hustles. But the side hustle really turned into this big thing within a year. So I opened my own beauty business. And again, this is like five or six years ago. Um, totally went off on my own, like dove headfirst into entrepreneurship. And um, since then, I've grown the beauty business so that it's no longer just me. I have a team of artists. And um, but even that about a year ago, I realized, okay, I can't physically do this work forever. There has to be another escape plan now. So if I am going to transition away from physically taking clients in my beauty business, because it is kind of um, physically taxing doing the work you wouldn't think so but every beauty service provider that I know has like neck problems wrist problems um so I needed to make another escape plan 
first I learned about this whole fire community and I was all in, I'm like 70% savings rate. I can retire in 11 years, but I'm like, wait a minute, I can't do this for another 11 years. That's still too long. And I came across someone on a podcast who was achieving fire through real estate. And it sounded like I could do it in more like two years if I take that route. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. And this was summer of 2021. So this was just over a year ago that I figured out what real estate investing even is and that you don't have to be super rich or like old to do it. (laughs) Because I think most of us thought that that was the case, like before we actually started that you have to be like, you know, much older, really wealthy before you can even get into something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So last fall, so just about a year ago, I got really into the BP Rookie podcast. I took their um, rookie boot camp. I read every book. I took coaching calls with people. I listened to every podcast and I just soaked it all up for maybe like three or four months. And by Thanksgiving last year, so just about a year ago, I started making offers. So that's kind of how I got into real estate investing. And since then, I've just really fallen in love with it. Um, I love how much control you have over the success of your investments with real estate versus what I was doing prior, investing 70% of my money in index funds, because you don't really have that much control over what goes on with your index funds. And um, I just love how fast you can build up enough passive income. We say passive, but it's not that passive. But um, I love how fast you can build up enough passive income to get you where you need to be with real estate. So that's kind of why I'm here and why I get into it. Of course. That's absolutely awesome. And I definitely agree with you on kind of that control aspect of, you know, just having a lot more. Yeah, I mean, being able to to kind of control that direction a lot more of like what returns look like and, and different, you know, ways to add value to a property and like, you know, like put the rents up and coin op machines. And like, there's just so many different things that mm-hmm. you can do to really like, you know, juice that as much as you can. Um, right. And although, you know, like investing in index funds and everything is, is good for di- diversification and like, you know, I definitely love that as well. I, um you know, just have like a Roth IRA that like I try to fill up every year and stuff, but you're totally right. You know, like you just kind of put the money in and other people take care of it and hope that things go good, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, um, that's absolutely awesome. Wow. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's, um, that's really cool too. Yeah. And I've been pretty busy since then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. So I guess, how was it? Tell us about kind of like the first time that you were going to put an offer in, like, you know, like you're walking that, uh, like, if you remember, you know, like, was it a two family, three family, like what was kind of going through your head? Like, holy crap. Oh yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. So the first property that we got under contract and when I say we, I mean, me and my husband, um, I mostly do all the real estate stuff together, but he is an electrician and knows a lot more about, um, like renovations and stuff than I do. So especially if I'm going to walk a property, I love when he can come with me. Um, But the first one we walked was a two family. We were going to get into it with an FHA loan. We were going to have one unit vacant before closing. And it was in an amazing neighborhood, but um, it was the worst house in that neighborhood, which was great because there was so much value (laughs) add opportunity there. And we're like, all the neighbors would be so happy that we would make this house like so much, you know, more visually appealing, like they would love it. And uh, it was definitely more renovations than 
I think we were meant to do at that time because it was going to be a lot. Um, we didn't end up actually getting to close on it because the tenants that were supposed to vacate before closing just wouldn't leave. So we ultimately like rates went up so high that it no longer made sense financially. So we just had to back out. Um, but I think by the time we were making offers, I had been absorbing so much information, like every waking moment, like my poor clients at my beauty salon, they all had to learn about real estate because all we <laughs> listened to is podcasts. Um, but people actually really liked it. So, you know, they weren't totally tortured, but um, I felt like everything started sounding the same. Like every podcast I had already learned about that a week ago. And of course, you know, in real estate, you can never stop learning. Like there, the limit does not exist. There's, it's an ever evolving industry and there's always more to learn. But I was listening to beginner podcasts and reading beginner books. So when all those things started sounding redundant, I knew it was time to stop consuming more information and just start doing something with the info I already had. So when I did start to offer, I actually felt really confident. I felt really like this is the next step. This is what I, I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and I also think I was kind of blissfully ignorant when it came to like the costs of certain renovations and repairs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was cool because, um, I got two properties under contract at the same time, like my first two and the first two investment properties I made offers on, actually, I got both of them under contract at the same time. And this was fall of 2021. So it was very competitive at that time. Um, but I actually did have the means to get both. Um, but I was kind of hoping one was going to fall through because I didn't really want to like bite off more than I could chew. Um, so it just was the perfect, you know, everything was in alignment that that duplex didn't work out like that it fell through. So, yeah, I definitely relate to you on the, um, you know, kind of like the seeing those costs and just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, it probably won't be too bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm getting a really good gauge of that right now because um, I'm turning one of my units in Lemonster and I'm actually like tracking like everything that i've spent money on like when it comes to that turnover and i'm like oh that's like five grand i'm like i never would have thought you know like just clean it up throw some paint like this that the other and all of a sudden like there's five grand like you know that you put into this unit and it's um it's interesting you know what i mean and you're just kind of like oh yeah you know it probably won't be too too bad and until you know <laughs> you actually start to see like how everything you know kind of went that's super cool though, you know, especially like kind of getting both of those properties at the same time. And like, I, I can imagine it must've been a little bit stressful, right? Trying to like, you know, just get everything aligned and get all like the paperwork and the dates and like, you know, have everything kind of going together. <laughs> yeah, it was a little crazy because especially since we were going to be using an FHA loan for the one that ultimately fell through there was that much more paperwork and phone calls with like the lending piece of that one. Um, but yeah, I think it was a lot of just putting out fires every day. Like every day there would be someone who needs a certain document for me or something that, you know, needs to be reworked. And I was just ready for it and made myself available for that. So it wasn't too, too bad. Um, but back to your point, one of my peers actually was telling me the other day that the average cost of turning over a unit is like 6,500. Um, and I was totally shocked by that. I'm like, really, that's like the average. But, you know, like you said, once you actually line item everything and add it all up, it, it adds up, you know? Yeah. 
it definitely does and it's <laughs> so that just goes to show the importance of like being a stand-up landlord so that you don't have to keep like always getting new people in there uh-huh yeah i totally agree and to be honest like that wasn't even something that i was thinking about at all until i started tracking those metrics and it's like oh crap all right like you know a, a tenant's leaving or whatever like everything's cool and you know their rent is like 700 bucks below market perfect you know i'll just get in there real quick like do a couple of things make it look pretty and then you know i'll be able to list it for two grand or something like that and it's like well actually you know that fridge needs to go <laughs> like all this stuff needs to get done like you might have to ching up a little bit to get it where you want it you know um it's very interesting though you know and mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so there's a lot yeah of... i think that's a oh sorry i think that's a good oh it's okay i think that's a good testament to how like you know people who are not in real estate see the rents that they're paying and they see the mortgage that you are paying and that's all they see so it's a, this is just a good testament to how like there are so many hidden costs that really add up when you are running a property that sometimes the profit margin is really not nearly as good as it looks on paper um so if anyone's listening who's not actually investing in real estate just a good thing to keep in mind um i think there's especially um, where we are in massachusetts i think like being a tenant for state there is some kind of a climate around like there are a lot of people who have a bad taste in their mouth about landlords and investors and property managers um so i think sharing stuff like that maybe does help to enlighten those people a little bit as to like how it really looks behind the scenes. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, it's really interesting, actually. I don't know if, um, if you've ever gone on Facebook and see like, you know, people posting like their units for rent in some of like the, the resident like group chats for like the towns and stuff like that. Very, very interesting guys. If, um, if you've never kind of looked at those before, but I, I was going through one yesterday it was actually somebody posted a unit in Lemonster in like the Lemonster like Unite chat or whatever it is. And like there were tons of people like laughing at the price and everything and like ripping these people apart and everything. And it was a really nice unit, you know, and there were a couple people in there like, nope, that's that's market like the entire world is crazy. Like that looks really nice, like good for him, you know, and like, you know, he his mortgage is probably nuts. And like, he has to manage all these things. It's a business like good for him, you know, like it, it looks really good. And, you know, it's it's interesting to kind of see that dynamic there. You know, because to your point, like a lot of people, maybe that aren't really in real estate just see like, oh, you know, you're bringing in five grand from these three units and your mortgage is only three, like you're like doing really good. And like, you know, you're killing it. It's like, well, maybe, but <laughs> it's not as, as big of a margin as you think it is most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I have the same experience listing in Facebook groups. So pro tip to any new uh, investors out there who are self-managing, <laughs> when you post it in those groups, just turn the comments off to begin with, because I know for me personally, like getting, and this just happened to me, um, you know, even the other day, like even last week, because we have a short-term rental up by Lake Winnipesaukee that we're looking to turn into a midterm rental. So we're kind of testing the waters to see like if we can get an amount that makes sense. And um, accidentally, like my assistant posted it in like local groups in that area. And there were so many people who were um, commenting, just being like, this is why there's a housing shortage and this and that. So I just deleted it in those groups. Like that goes to show this is the vibe in that group. So I'm just going to take it out. Yep. Um, but the last time I had a long-term rental unit available was over the summer. And 
people were just completely tearing me apart in the groups because the price was a little bit higher because it includes heat and internet. So even having that be like the top line that it's included, I was getting totally torn apart in these Facebook groups. So um, (laughs) lesson learned, (laughs) right when you post, just turn the comments off and the worst people can do is laugh, react at it and like Uh angry react or something. But um, and it sucks that like, good comments can't be made to like help boost it in the feed but it is what it is yeah it definitely is extremely interesting (laughs) so i wanted to talk about something that you mentioned in there so how was it kind of going from you know picking up those two properties to eventually kind of getting into like the short-term rental space and picking up that property up near uh winnipesaukee Yeah, so to paint a picture of my portfolio now, I have a duplex that has two long-term tenants in it. I have a house hack that we live in one side. It's a duplex. We live in one side. Um, We have a long-term tenant in the other side. And then we also have a traveling medical professional in our guest room. So it's a twofold house hack. Um, And then lastly, we have a single family home up by Lake Winnipesaukee that's a short-term rental. So the short-term rental was the second of the three purchases. And right after I closed on that first long-term rental duplex, I hit the pavement and was like, I want a short-term rental now. And um, <laughs> it's definitely been an interesting ride. Like <laughs> it's such an emotional roller coaster. It's so much more a customer service business. And I really do feel like being a landlord anyway, you are in customer service because you're providing a service to a customer and they need to be treated as such. But the short-term rental has just been absolutely wild. Um, We launched it like end of May, beginning of June. And um, summer was incredible. Like financially, summer was amazing. There were some challenges for sure. Um, and then fall has been kind of dead. So, um, you know, I want to give it the full year to really see how it goes, but I'm really liking midterm rentals and managing a short-term rental, even with all the automations that we have in place, it still takes my assistant a good, like three, four hours a week. Um, so, you know, that's another, that's another expense that we're kind of not really seeing, um, when we do the bookkeeping. Right. So, um, Yeah, but it has been also really cool to have a place to bring like my friends and family when there's nobody up there. Um, And New Hampshire is another high appreciation state as well. So I like that that's happening in the background. But um, if anyone, (laughs) like uh, lots of my friends follow me on Venmo and all of my transactions are public. Um, And over the summer, I mean, even continuing through now, it's so funny because people always text me like, what the hell is going on at your New Hampshire house? Because one in four of our guests since we started we have had to pay a biohazard fee for so there's been blood or vomit or some other bodily fluids that our cleaner has to handle and when the cleaner has to handle a biohazard we get charged a fee so we have to pay it back to her and we have to write what it's for like very explicitly so that then we can screenshot that transaction send it to airbnb and hope that they will reimburse us through air cover Gotcha. Um, air cover is a total shit show. So <laughs> for anyone considering getting into short-term rentals and leaning on that, I would not recommend leaning on that. Um, but that's probably been the funniest thing that we've had to deal with with the short-term rental is like one in four guests 
having this issue. I know that as a, as an Airbnb guest, I personally have never bled all over a house, but um, <laughs> I guess I guess lots of people do. Um, so yeah, that's been uh, the most notable part of our experience getting into short term rentals. And I personally would not buy another short term rental because I it is really cool. Like it's, it's the cool, sexy thing. I personally wouldn't do it again. Cause I hate the seasonality and, um, it's not really scalable when just having one is already costing us three hours a week. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's my two cents on short-term rentals. <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. I think in a perfect situation, I would like to have midterm tenants in there, um, fall, winter, spring, and then continue to do short-term rentals through the summer. That I think would be perfect for that property. So that's what we're working on right now. That's a really cool idea. That's um. Let me ask you a little bit about um, kind of like your experience with the medium-term uh, space. So I actually, I thought about um, trying it out with the unit in my place that I have open right now. It's just like a two-bedroom. Um, and I was thinking of, trying out like the the medium term rental with oh, I forget what it's one of like the mass memorial campuses in Leominster or something and somebody was telling me they're like oh you know you might be able to do something like that you know given like you know you'll have to furnish it and like there's a little bit more management and stuff like that a little bit more time required um and I thought it was very interesting and I was looking on like furnish finder and stuff like that mm -hmm. to see if there's like actually like a sustainable demand where if I put, you know, like five grand to furnish this thing, you know, is there enough people kind of like cycling through and, and stuff like that? Um, and I, I kind of abandoned the idea for now just because of a situation that I'm in. But how um how has that kind of been from your experience? You know, um, is there like, or I guess what's kind of like the demographic that's that's came through the most on the medium term rental side? Like, is it like a traveling nurse or like a professional, like? Yeah, so I would say the vast majority is going to be travel nurses or traveling medical professionals, but there are also insurance companies that have housing lists where, say, you know, your house burns down, you do need temporary housing, and your insurance would help set you up in temporary housing that's furnished. So there's also stuff like that. There's also military housing. Um, there's uh, corporate housing. So like if you only need housing for like a three month stint for some kind of travel job through your company, that's not a medical professional. Um, you know, there's lists for that, like corporate housing by owner is one of them. Um, so there are a lot of other people who need midterm rentals rather than just medical professionals. Um, but people also think that it's just travel nurses in the medical field, but it's not. Um, like our midterm renter that we have in our furnished guest room, um, she is a traveling endoscopy technician. So there's, you know, way more than just nurses who are looking for midterm rentals. Um, I actually like the furnishing process. I think that's fun. Putting together furniture sucks, obviously, but you can hire somebody to do that if you don't want to do it. Um, I think back to when we set up the New Hampshire house. So it's a four bed, two full bath that you don't really realize how empty a house is until it's really completely empty and you have to fill it with everything that somebody needs to live there for a week. Um, we came up with a U-Haul and did it in two days and it was the most insane two days of my life. But um, 
just setting up this guest room was way easier, obviously. So setting up the guest room, as far as the financials go, I didn't try to get anything from like marketplace or skimp on anything. I just bought everything new because I knew if we don't end up liking doing this, then I just want to have a nice, cute guest room. So I wanted it to be nice, right? Um, we spent 1700 furnishing the room. The only thing that I already had was a bed frame. Um, and you don't have to have like a big elaborate bed frame. So I think maybe, you know, if I needed that, it would have been like 1750 or something. Um, and coincidentally, 1700 is what we get for that room. So in just one month, I made back my investment on that. Um, and I would say for doing, you know, like a one bedroom, you should probably plan like a minimum of 3000. Um, and that's if you're like really being money conscious, um, 5,000 would be like an easier budget, um, for perspective. When we furnished the New Hampshire house, like I said, four bedrooms, two full bathrooms, it was about 2250 or $22,250. Gotcha. It was around there. Yeah. I did a lot of research prior as far as like what people are normally spending, but there are also companies who will do it for you. Um, so Sarah Weaver, she is one person in the midterm rental space, um, who has a big presence online. And she also has a company called Aria design services where you can pay her and she will order everything, have it sent to the house, come physically set it all up for you. I want to say she even creates like a, um, kind of like a guest guide for you as well. Like how to use the heat and how to do this and how to do that. So, um, yeah, so there are people who will do all, all that stuff for you. Wow. I'm thinking about it a lot more now, Jesse, the, the gears are turning. Again. <laughs> like, oh, you know, maybe at some point I'll get to it, but oh my goodness. I mean, like yeah, 1700 and, for one room. Holy crap. <laughs> and everyone always asks like, do you share a kitchen and bathroom? Yes, we share a kitchen and bathroom. <laughs> and, you know, I live to tell about it. It's really not that bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it works out really great for us because, you know, so my family, it's me, my husband and my stepdaughter who's in high school. And um, we could pretty much get along with anybody. Like we're easygoing people. We're not super, super sticklers about anything in our house being any specific way. So I think we are the perfect people to be doing something like this. Um, it's not for everyone, obviously, but considering our long-term tenant on the other side of the duplex and then having this guest room rented out our mortgage is 3850 for this house that's principal interest taxes and insurance and of that we pay 50 which that's is beautiful. insane so like it's so worth it for us wow. um but i can totally see why other people might not think that um you know it's something that would work for them but if you if you want to test the waters like you had said get on furnish finder see what similar private rooms or units are renting for in general with the midterm rental strategy your cash flow should be double if not whatever it would be from a short-term rental gotcha mm -hmm. wow yeah i'm definitely gonna jump on uh do a little bit of research after this again <laughs> the gears are, yeah, are really it, starting to turn <laughs> and it does get you a little bit closer to like running a hospitality business but I do think it feels way more similar to a long-term rental than it does to a short-term rental. Cause wow. I still have guests like, you know, fill out a traditional lease and many times they extend. So then they're there for six months. So you don't actually always have to be looking for the, a new person every three months. Ideally, maybe you'll only have to do it twice a year. Yeah. That's super cool. Cause like I was thinking about it, like <laughs> I'm hoping to get, and it's typically just one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, no, that's okay. It's typically just one person who 
doesn't really know anyone in the area and they're mostly just working, eating and sleeping. So also your unit's going to be in great condition when they leave and you know, your furnishings are going to be well taken care of. Like it's, um, a good way to reduce the cost of those turnovers because then you're just doing more of like an airbnb turnover where it's mostly just cleaning like you don't need to renovate anything and a lot of times with midterm rentals people are doing same day switches so that there's no vacancy so the you know existing midterm tenant will leave at 10 um, they'll have the cleaning company come in and then the new midterm tenant will come in at three wow that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Cause like, <laughs> I was thinking about it, Jesse, like what I was hoping to get out of that unit for a long term, like just regular, uh, regular, you know, new tenant was like 1500 to 1600 for like a huge two bedroom. That's in okay. You know, condition after the turnover, but I definitely have to do some more research because that could make a heck of a difference, <laughs> you know? And so let me ask you this too. I know. Yeah. And with a two bedroom, you could even rent it by the bedroom to two different travel nurses. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Oh my goodness. I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so worth it. That's what I would do. That was the other thing I was just about to ask you was like, you know, I, I know you mentioned it was more or less, you know, kind of like a one person uh, type of demographic that's, you know, going to be renting that space. But, you know, what would the case look like for like a two bedroom or even like a three bedroom or something? You know, like I know it's it's probably kind of hard to tell, but maybe like use one bedroom as a bedroom and then the other one as an office or like, you know, it's it's probably different for everybody, I guess. But. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would do is create two different listings that add up to the same price. So like if you create one listing for the whole two bedroom unit and just say, you know, there's this extra room, um, maybe furnish both rooms as bedrooms, but create this one unit. Cause a lot of people too, like say it's a couple with um, a child who's homeschooled and the woman's a travel nurse, the husband works remotely. They might all travel as a family. There are people who need both bedrooms. Um, There's just not as many of them. So you could create one listing for both bedrooms, X amount, say just for numbers sake, 4,000. Then you could create another listing for just one of the two bedrooms and clearly state in there, like like, both of these bedrooms are rented to traveling professionals for single occupancy only. Um, So you will only be sharing space with somebody else who is strictly here for work um, you know, you would have to map out kind of like house rules, which, um, I talked about on the wire podcast as well. Like we shared some good tips on, um, some good like house rules and, um, have that be listed for half the price. So like 2000 a room, you know, something wow. like that. Um, and of course, like you're also going to be paying for all the utilities. So you need to bake that into your costs. Um, but for house rules, you know, simple things like, quiet hours after 10 but that might not work if you have people who work overnight so you have to kind of consider that um cabinetry in the kitchen can be labeled like bedroom one bedroom two even in the kit like in the refrigerator you can split it in half right down the middle so you can kind of set things up for them that'll make it easier for them to share a space but yeah so i would kind of test the waters and post it both ways and you get what you get yeah that's crazy. That was actually, that was something that was kind of on my mind too, was like, how do the utilities work? You know, cause like for the unit that I have, they have their own uh, forced hot water boiler with oil. So I was like, all right, like, is mm-hmm. that, 
would that be my responsibility? Cause they're not, you know, going to be there like the whole time or like, would they incur the cost for like six months and then figure out like a, a differential, like type of thing, like, like a credit type of deal or, you know, how did like something like that work? But that makes a lot more sense, you know, um, almost like, I mean, pretty much, you know, renting by the room, like that type of thing, like, oh, you know, it's all included, like, but yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, but I have heard of people doing um, like, this is the average cost for this. So if you go over, it gets billed back to you. Like you could bake that into your rental agreement. Um, I do hear about people doing that because you also have to consider that. Um, and one of my, one of my peers, I got this from her. Um, there's these two girls, Amelia McGee and Grace Gudenkoff. They're both on Instagram. And they have a course on midterm rentals um, and they run the wire podcast, but they were saying like, this was such a great point. There's people coming from all over the world, like from other countries, from other parts of this country. And, you know, say someone's traveling to an area like this, where it's pretty cold in the winter, they might be cranking the heat, like way beyond what's reasonable to us as New Englanders. Um, so even though I know in my head, okay, I should budget this much for oil. If they come from a warm climate and come up here and they're like jacking the heat up to like 90 degrees or uh -huh. something. <laughs> something that heating bill that I was expecting is going to be very different so that's when you could either do like nest thermostats that you could control and lock um or just say like you know this is the temperature that it should be set on for you to stay around this price and anything over this price like that you spend on oil will be billed back so there are ways to do it like that too because um you know with people coming from different climates utilities can get kind of crazy that makes a lot of sense. We definitely have quite the, uh, quite the unique climate up here in New England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yesterday it was what, like almost 50 degrees out or something. And now it's, uh, I have a space heater down here and, <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, uh -huh. that, that makes a lot of sense. And I do really admire that aspect of like implementing a system like that to be able to be like, oh, hey, you know, mm -hmm. like we, we will cover like this much, like this is roughly what it looks like if you want to jack your heat up to like the top of the thermostat totally fine but you know you you're gonna pay for you know whatever the rule is um and the other question i wanted to ask you is when it comes to like systems i know you mentioned you have is it a virtual assistant i assume i do yeah i mean i hate to even call her that because she is so much more high level than what you would normally think of when you hear va um she's been with me for about five years she started off very part-time just for my beauty salon um and now her role has transformed into doing so much for both of my businesses um i consider her full-time because most of her working hours are made up of work for my two businesses she does also have a couple like very part-time um clients that she does work for but She's from around here and we actually used to work together oh, wow. at that um, big box beauty retailer. So when I had posted on my personal pages, like, oh, I'm looking for someone to do this like a couple hours a week remotely. And when she responded, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect because I know what she is like when she's handed a job description. I know what she does with it. Yep. So I'm like, this is the best person ever that I could have on my team. And, <laughs> and, um, she's still with me she she moved to california like her family moved for her husband's job um but everything she does can easily be done remotely so um yeah it works out pretty great for us that's extremely cool and it's mm -hmm. i assume it's kind of like just her with you know a kind of roles and in, in a couple of those businesses and you know just kind of managing like pieces here and there and stuff 
Yeah, pretty much. Like anything that's repetitive um, is better for her to do. Anything that can be done remotely is good for her to do. Um, we have kind of like a visionary integrator uh, dynamic between the two of us. Like I'll have the ideas and know kind of what we have to do to get there. Um, and then I'll sort of map it out for her and be like, here are all these little things like that we need to get done now. But um, I will probably in 2023 be hiring in-house property management. So um, she has a couple tasks for my long-term and midterm rentals. Um, those will transition away to the new in-house property manager and she'll probably keep the short-term rental just because she really has um you know has a down pat like how to communicate with people and all the all the processes that go into that and we use monday.com to track um our tasks that's super cool wow so jesse i wanted to ask you there is one question that i like to ask everybody and i'm I'm curious what your thoughts are on it and that is how do you define wealth how do i define wealth i define wealth as like complete freedom time freedom financial freedom location freedom like you never have to be anywhere at a certain place or time you never have to worry much about finances um and when i say you never have to worry about finances i mean like you're not looking at prices at the grocery store right (laughs) um you know if you're comparing prices on private jets don't worry i still think you're wealthy but um you know you're not clipping coupons to buy groceries so wealth to me is that like time freedom, financial freedom, location freedom. And um, that's like a big thing that I'm shooting for, for the end of 2023. Like I want to be able to say that I have those three freedoms in place and that'll make it a total success for me. I love that. That's absolutely awesome. I definitely agree. And that's super cool too, especially, (laughs) you know, because like all of this has happened in like such a short amount of time, you know, and like just kind of like leveraging like one resource to another like one property to another uh the businesses like that's extremely cool i something that was on my mind i i did want to ask you you know kind of like what 2023 looked like and that's um that's quite the vision i I love it that's super cool yeah so 2023 for me um this past fall i reached that point that i thought was like meant I maybe like screwed up or did something wrong, but I reached that point where I went as far as I could with my own capital. And now it's time to pivot and bring in other people's capital. So going into 2023, I'm trying to get under contract right now on the right deal with a silent partner. Um, I'm the active partner. She's the money partner. And we're looking to get into a 12 unit together. Um, And through throughout 2023, I'd like to add 50 long-term rental units with silent equity partners. Um, and maybe turn a couple of them into midterm rentals we'll see uh but yeah that's beautiful that's extremely cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. how is it i guess kind of like and you don't have to go too too much into into detail but like did you when it came to like you know finding that first equity partner and you know kind of like having the conversation of like oh hey you know like this is what i got going on this is kind of what i'm looking for like did they more or less kind of come to you after seeing, you know, like a lot of the the things that you've done already and, you know, kind of like that next vision? Or did you kind of go out and be like, hey, you know, like if I find something like, you know, is that something that you might be interested in? Like Brandon Turner's kind of <laughs> phrase, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, what was it like beginning of October? I went to BPCon and at that time, I I really had like this realization there where 
I didn't have a problem. I just had, I was just at a point where I had to pivot and I was like, wow, this is a point that every, pretty much every successful investor is going to get to like, either they've hit that point um, and they had to pivot or they're at it now, or they gave up at it. Right. Like this point where you've maxed out what you can do on your own. And now it's has to become a team sport. So um, I left BPCon and I was like, okay, I'm going to make a list of 25 people who I think might have a lot of capital that they know they need to invest, but they don't have the time to learn about different investing strategies, or they just don't want to, or they're just, you know, too busy with other stuff. Or maybe they know people or work with people who fit that description. So I made my list of like 25, 30 people. And I'm like, this this is going to be so like awkward and I'm going to get so much rejection here. But I was like, I'm just going to text five of these people every day. So every day I'm going to text five of these people. I kind of wrote out like a pre-written message basically saying like, you know, as you know, like this is what me and my husband have been working on all year and we're ready to take that next step and get into something bigger. So um, we're looking for somebody who may be interested in investing in real estate, but doesn't have the time or knowledge, um, but wants to get in on the returns and, and the perks of investing. Um, do you happen to know anyone who fits the bill? There it is. Yep. <laughs> like somebody who, like I said, just wants to get in on it. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't directly asking them. I was kind of like, do you know anyone? Like, does this remind you of anyone in your network? Um, do you know anyone that might want to talk about this? And of course, you know, I, a couple people just didn't even answer. I got a lot of, you know, I don't think so, but I'll let you know if I think of anyone. But one of my, my clients actually at my beauty business, I texted her cause she used to have an interior design company. So I'm like, oh, she kind of already works with people in the real estate world. Right. Um, and it, just so happened that she was sitting at dinner with a friend of hers who fit that description perfectly and it was just so aligned right like the next day she had said to that friend like you know I got this text last night and um it it was exactly aligned with what we were talking about because this friend of hers was saying you know I really want to buy another property but I don't really have time and um because she already owns a three-family and um, so we got connected, we had a phone call, we met for coffee, then we had another couple phone calls. And that fourth uh, meeting was her saying like, let's do it. I'm in. And I cleared it with my financial planner and like, this is a great idea. So um, she gave me a certain amount that she was comfortable investing in something, um, knowing what my expected returns are from a good deal, like what my criteria is for a good deal. And, um, we went to my lawyer, we drafted our, our partnership agreement. Um, so now we're just trying to get under contract. So we're making offers, um, and I'm pretty optimistic that we'll get under contract within like a week or two. That's beautiful. Oh my goodness. I yeah. do. I absolutely love that phrase of, um, oh, you know, like, do you, or do you know of anyone who might be interested? That's, that's always something that, that really stuck out. Um, so it's, you know, cause it's kind of like, oh, you know, like, do you know anybody, but like, also, are you there? Like without kind of having that awkward, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's cool. But like, or, <laughs> you know, just kind of having that, that weird kind of conversation, I guess, but that's extremely cool. And I, I really do like how, you know, you kind of took that, like, you know, daily approach of texting like five people and like really just getting that message out there and just kind of putting it out into the world, you know, and, and who knows, Jesse, like, you have someone right now, but maybe like one of the one or multiple of the people that you texted, you know, a long time ago or whenever you started, maybe now isn't the best time, but maybe like six months from now, 
or you know after they see like the next deal that you guys do and and put together then they might hop on that bandwagon you know and like that's that's a really <laughs> a really fascinating thing that that i've thought about is like is it like jumping into that commercial space is it kind of like getting that first project under your belt like getting it stabilized and then now you have a track record to be like oh you know this is where we started this is what stabilization looked like and this is what the dispo looks like or you know whatever it was and like these are the final numbers and like everything went hunky-dory and everything was cool you know so like now like you have something <laughs> to be able to like i mean something else i should say you know to be able to bring to those people who might be like on the fence or like they don't know or maybe like don't really understand as much and be like hey you know i've done this before like this is one of the the previous projects that we just finished up everything was cool you know people made the returns that they were supposed to and you know we're just looking to get bigger that's extremely cool good for you thanks and yeah i agree i think like just this will be like proof of concept yep. that i can then share with other people who are interested interested in investing but don't have the time or knowledge um but i do also already have like a couple other silent partners that are sort of just waiting in the wings like for the next thing um and the more you just talk to people about what you're doing and how you want to do it people will kind of come out of the woodwork who are the perfect fit um a lot of people will turn to like posting on instagram about it but you have to kind of consider are the people who follow you on Instagram going to be those people? Like, do they fit the description of someone who's interested in this? Cause in many cases they don't. Um, but yeah, just talk. I mean, everyone says it, but just talking to as many people as you can about what you're doing and how you want to do it. Um, people will kind of come out of the woodwork. I love that. That's awesome. So Jesse, I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, what is, or where is it here? Uh, the question is, do you read? And I know something you said earlier, I, I definitely, uh, definitely got that message with the, um, like the traction and, and rocket fuel, you know, integrator and uh, visionary concept there. But I was going to ask, what is your favorite business investing or real estate book that you would recommend to anyone or podcast or audiobook or anything that you consume pretty much? Hmm. Oh my God. I'm not sure. I mean, I've bought probably, I bought at least half of the bigger pockets bookstore. And I feel that. Through all of it. <laughs> and I actually, I really like Brandon Turner's books because you can tell in the way that he writes that he's just a regular guy. Who's not an author or writer. He's just a guy who has this knowledge and he wants to share it with you. So it's just like so easy to read. Um, and then for podcasts, I always recommend the Bigger Pockets Rookie Podcast or the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. Um, I think for business books in general, I don't have I don't have one that sticks out because I think so many of them are too generalized and like don't necessarily apply to every different type of business or type of entrepreneur. But for podcasts, those are the two that I'm always listening to. Um, I also want to start listening to Rob Durdeck's podcast because he was a guest on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast recently, and I really liked what he had to say. And um, I guess his podcast is super popular for um, entrepreneurs, anyone self-employed. So I want to get into that. Um, as far as what I'm reading right now, it's absolutely pain to me to try to get through, but I'm trying to get through the Bigger Pockets Tax Strategies book. But it's just <laughs> like I'm so bored to tears by that stuff that it's just been kind of sitting on my nightstand like not getting anywhere but um yeah so that's what I'm working on right now those are awesome and 
it's funny you said that about um rob deerdeck's podcast i don't know if you've heard he did an interview with ed mylett on ed mylett has a podcast too i'm i'm not 100 percent sure like who that is yet i, I should know but <laughs> gotta do some research <laughs> but um like they so there was an interview on ed mylett's podcast with rob deerdeck like not too long ago and i'm listening to it for the second time right now the first time was like earlier this week and like oh my god like there was so much like like rob deerdeck like he's just like such an incredible guy and like this is the first time that i've kind of heard like this like self-development like like really crazy you know high level mindset action like all this like wicked crazy stuff the first time that i saw like this side of him because prior um you know i just saw him in uh like skateboarding and like you know in this movie mm -hmm. with paul rodriguez a long time ago like a skateboard <laughs> movie and stuff and literally like i couldn't recommend that episode enough like it's like it's so crazy like how like high level it is and i totally feel you on that one like i, I want to dig into more of like rob deerdeck stuff just because like I, I don't even know like how to describe it right like just like the way that he's talking about this stuff like oh my god <laughs> i um yeah i i <laughs> yeah you know what else too like so often you see people like that and you're like you think they must have some skill that you don't have or like have access to some resource that you don't have and you know like being wealthy of course yeah that's a, a pretty big resource that he has access to that many people don't but he had said on the bigger pockets real estate podcast that he realized at a certain point that his businesses even though they were like you know multi-million or maybe even billion dollar businesses um that he was just breaking even and he's like this isn't right like i'm exerting so much energy into these and like there's so much money coming into them but i'm essentially just breaking even and that was inspiring to me because it's more inspirational i think to hear of these high level people things not really working out the way that they planned or the way that they intended i'm like oh okay like they deal with stuff like this too so it just it made me like him that much more and like want to go listen to his podcast that much more because he just you know came right out and said like that it doesn't always work out exactly how you thought and like sometimes you don't even have the awareness to see that until like you really are just truly breaking even so i thought that was really cool that was a big takeaway i had from that episode um it just made him so much more relatable yeah i definitely agree and i i totally feel you on that one like because it's i feel like that type of stuff isn't always talked about you know with maybe like people of that caliber and, and like establishment i guess you could say so it's it's almost kind of like mm -hmm. like grounding you know what i mean like oh like everybody's dealing with crap like these guys even though you know they have like multi-million dollar billion dollar businesses whatever it might be like things might still be hitting the fan too just like you and i you know what i mean and like just because they're in like a much higher level spot like there's still systems that need to be implemented there's still implementations that that need to be implemented things that need to pivot like it's like their business isn't just like freaking perfect all the way around you know and it's i feel like it's it doesn't come around that often like when you can kind of hear things like that you know from these businesses that are like just so large and um yeah <laughs> one of the the things that he <laughs> i'm sorry one of the things that he was talking about on um on my let's podcast was he was like yeah dude like literally my day is filled with like 
Oh no, he was talking about uh, recording. I don't know if it was ridiculousness or or like one of the shows that he was doing. He was recording like you know several episodes in a day, and like you know there was like wardrobe changes and like everything was so packed together, and like he was literally just like in such a spot where like he was just like like grinding like there was no tomorrow and like it was starting to to burn him out and like he was getting sick of it and he's like oh honestly like you know i know you know i've been doing this show for so long and like all these episodes and everything and like you know everything's great but like i really don't want to do it anymore like just because it was it was kicking his ass so much so he started to systematize and he was basically taking things like oh you know if there's like there's like three wardrobe changes in between episodes for like a half hour long each he's like what if you know we took out a couple of those took like 15 minutes out of lunch now i just recovered an hour you know and now like i'll record a bunch of things in advance to cut down on like an hour after each episode every day so now we can crank out you know a couple episodes in a day and like it doesn't weigh me down like it did prior and like now you know he can just come like full of energy and everything like doing the same thing that he was before but 10 times more systematized than he did with like a 10 times better result. And it's something that like really made Mm -hmm. me think Jesse. And like one of the things that he said in the very beginning of that podcast was that like all he tries to do with like all, you know, everything and in the businesses and inventors in his life is he just tries to systematize everything and like literally just keep automating it, automate every single thing that you can. And like, that's all he focuses on. And like, to your point like it was really crazy you know hearing that from somebody that like you know has all these like crazy you know shows and movies and like investment stuff and like all this crazy stuff going on because it's it's just it's so real you know like it's it's similar problems that you know like you and I would have and like like these are real problems that like everybody deals with in in different aspects and it just it was really it really hit kind of a different spot in my head and it was absorbed differently hearing it from somebody like that. And it's like, yeah, dude, like, you know, my day was packed. Like I was, you know, beyond like stuffed with all kinds of things that were going on and it was starting to lead me to not like what I was doing anymore. You know? So I basically just had to systematize everything, cut down on meetings. And now like all that energy came back, like, you know, everything's cool. And like, we're still recording all this crazy stuff. And, um, you know, he, he likes it 10 times more again. It just, it really got me thinking like the past couple of days, like, wow, like everybody deals with this kind of stuff, you know? And if you can just automate it, like figure out ways to put the systems to like do things before you need to and be proactive. And yeah, it, it really made me think for a while. <laughs> I definitely agree with you. Yeah. And like you said, he deals with the same problems and like i was saying earlier like he doesn't have any special skills that other people don't have he doesn't he didn't have access to any sort like resources that other people didn't have but when 10 people are faced with the same problem like eight of them aren't even going to do anything and two of them are going to handle it really well like they're going to navigate it in a way that other people just aren't brave enough to or aren't willing to and he is and that's why he's achieved the success that he has you know like everyone has the same problems it's just like how you handle them is what differentiates you from someone like him i love that 100 percent. yeah thank you so so much for coming on here jesse this was absolutely awesome i feel like we could keep talking for like hours and hours and hours um i know (laughs) 
we're on um I really could. <laughs> but thanks for having me this was really fun yeah yeah definitely so we're on um like social media and stuff can you be found like everything like airbnb like like everything you have oh my I'll, god I'll put it down below <laughs> mostly instagram so on instagram i'm jesse dylan with an underscore at the end and i have a link tree with links to everything else from there so um the best place to connect with me is definitely on instagram beautiful i love link tree it's it's very efficient <laughs> but awesome jesse thank you so so much again for coming on here this was absolutely awesome <laughs> thanks yeah thanks for having me All right, guys, that concludes our Creating Wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully, you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build 